0: Pitch Deck Asia, your story, your words. We're on. We are in the studio and we are recording myself, Graham Brown, with three investors in the house. We're going to talk about Singapore. We're going to talk about startup investment, raising funds, the challenges facing both founders and investors here in Singapore. So a quick round-robin of who's who. We have Stephen Liu, Creole Price, And Sam Gibb, welcome back. Welcome you all to the studio. Thanks for coming.
1: Thank you. Thanks
0: for having us. Um, Let's put some stories to the names first. Who's who? So we have the the Kiwis and the Australians over there. Mm -hmm. So we'll come to you in a minute. Stephen, you're a familiar face... On our podcast
1: Flying the Singapore flag
0: Flying the Singapore flag You are Singaporean through. I am Singaporean But you haven't lived in Singapore all your life
1: Nope Um, I've I've lived in China for 10 years And I just recently returned from Japan
0: You had a stint in Fukuoka
1: Fukuoka for 2 years
0: Startup city The most innovative city in Japan Yeah is that a great claim to fame? Uh, well, according to the BBC. <laughs> it's relative, right? Okay, so you've got a, an interesting background. You were a corporate lawyer. Yes. You worked for eBay. Yep. And then you sort of had an interesting sabbatical where you went and traveled the world a little bit, didn't yep. you? When you found yourself and got into angel investing. Yes. Did you get into angel investing by chance? Was it something that you specifically went out to do or what was the story there?
1: I left eBay in 2014, uh, having spent eight years with eBay uh, in the legal department. And then as I was traveling around the world, I got to know people from this little interesting taxi hailing company called Uber. Mm. They were launching in Asia and they were like, could you help us out? Um, we need to figure out the regulatory landscape. You have been at eBay for eight years working in Singapore. You should know what's going on in Asia. And I say, okay, how? How do I go about helping you? And I say, okay, we want to launch it we want to launch it we want to launch it. How do we go about doing that? You know, what are the problems we have? That really got me interested in the whole startup mm. um, business.
0: When was this, 2014?
1: 2014, yes. All oh, right, so it's pretty yeah. early in there. Pretty early, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did they offer you
1: stock? So here's a funny story. That was a no. <laughs> 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 I asked for stock. I, even though I kind, I didn't really know what the business was about. I mean, it was, it, when it was described to me, I went, okay, so basically your mobile app that allows me to call for a car when I'm 1-1. One, one, how different are you from a taxi? But, you know, sounds interesting. Sounds like fun. And they already have a, a couple of Uber black cars running in Singapore at the time, hmm. which I tried. And I got a Bentley Continental car. Well wow, coming to pick me was up. Was that when it was
0: like premium Uber? It yeah, was at the it was beginning, u- it was like Uber Black, only Uber Uber Black, that was yeah. It, yeah,
1: And I think there were like maybe five riders that was wow. testing the app, so I keep getting the Bentley Continental. But <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this that's is cool. Deal. I want some stock, you know, and they went no, we'll pay you cash, no stock. So yes, this that's one of those things that um, it made sense. I, I missed. Yeah. And I said, okay, since I didn't get in early for this. Maybe I want to be an investor and try it out.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good backstory. Yeah. Do you think they're good value now?
1: I do have a buy price for the uh okay. for We'll talk about it this yeah. <laughs> we'll
0: after. Creole, yeah. welcome. Thank you. So you're from Australia.
2: I am indeed. Which yeah. part of Australia are you from? Uh, well, from the country originally, but now I'm uh, residing in Sydney.
0: Yeah. So how long are you in uh, Singapore for?
2: 36 hours. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do come up here every four, four to six weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When are you heading back? Uh, tomorrow morning, first thing.
0: Right. Bit of right. An, in- an investor Sure,
2: right tonight. But yeah.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why you're here, because Investable yes. is obviously well-known in Australia, lesser-known here in Singapore. You're sort of building the presence. Tell us a little bit about the story there.
2: Correct. Yeah. So we've been investing since 2010 in, in from Sydney, but essentially it's been a global mandate from, from day one, really. We've got US investments, Israeli investments, Canadian, New Zealand investments, Um, but we've seen that, you know, Southeast Asia, some exciting stuff happens. Um, we really wanted to create a presence. We've been doing programs here since, um, for about last four years. Um, we've we've had a partnership with the Beijing government with Otex, and so now we run a pitch competition in seven countries in Southeast Asia for uh, for them, and the winners get to go to Beijing each year, if expenses paid. So that's given us a bit of a flavour for what are the you know the startup qualities that's coming through, and we're we're, we're pretty you know, it's early days, but we're pretty impressed with um, with some of the, the markets here, um, including Singapore. We've now set up a, um, a, a regional office out of Singapore, and we've we've started to. Um, Develop our club of uh, evangel investors. Uh, we're not quite at ten; we're getting close. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm here. We've we've got a couple of staff here on the ground, but we're just really trying to build the brand, as you're saying, and you know, slowly but surely.
0: Fantastic. So, Investable, how would you describe it? Is it a syndicate? Is it what's the nearest sort of parallel that you can draw? Well,
2: we, we call, call ourselves a global seed investor, um, where you know our differentiator, I suppose, is we use programs to do the screening um, and programs to do the support once we've invested, and we have both a fund. And we've got a club of angel investors. not a syndicate. Syndicates tend to be every time they do an investment, they've got to set up a new structure. Yeah, uh, Club investable is, is sort of a bare trust. So the investor gets all of the rights they would if they were individually invested. The startup gets all the benefits of only having one investor, like from a fund, essentially.
0: Yeah. I read something interesting about you. Oh, yeah. And... Uh wasn't about Uber, wasn't it? No. Is it true that you set up like eight businesses by the time that you left school or something? Yeah, that is true. I I, I read that and I thought, no, that's got, that can't be right. Yeah. What, Scott, did you just leave school or something? No, I
2: was at at school. It's it's cool. Like even, I I mean, I wouldn't have even known the word entrepreneurship. Like when I was, I set up my first business at the age of 11, where it was sort of like I was a necessity entrepreneur. We're going through a drought. I wanted to buy a computer. There was no money around. What am I going to do? So I put all these strawberries in, started selling strawberries beside the road. That went well, built that over three years and became one of the main income earners for our family for a while. And then had another seven businesses when I was at university. Everyone else was getting a job, getting paid $15 an hour. I thought there's got to be a better way. So I set up a landscaping uh, business and, you know, did, did pretty well. In fact, it was so successful that I, I didn't end up going to lectures. So I, 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 I pretty much failed a lot of university, but, you know, that's how I sort of got my start.
0: Ryan, so you would describe yourself, in essence, as an entrepreneur. Uh,
2: Yeah, I guess you would. A hustler.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll talk about that as well in the context of Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. whether that sort of exists here as well, because that's a big part of the the startup scene, isn't it? Like, can they actually hustle? Can they sell? Sure. So I'd be interested to hear your views on that as well. Sam, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. It's good to have you here. So I'm always excited. <laughs> no, you don't show it. But you are a pretty active angel investor and now who's become a fund. Yeah. When people talk about Sam Gibb, they may know you because you've done a number of investments here in Singapore, but you're now sort of taking that to the next level as an early stage VC. Is that how you describe yeah. yourself?
3: Yeah, exactly. So currently in the process of setting up uh, Endeavor Ventures to be able to just... Extend what I've what I've been doing in a in a more meaningful way.
0: How many investments have you made here in Singapore? It's about fifteen now. Fifteen, yeah. Okay, and that probably ranks you in the top quarter, doesn't it? Of angel investors? maybe
3: by the the number, probably not by the the quantum invested, but right. yeah,
0: yeah. And why do you think that you've done that many when you're when average angel investors maybe done like one or two? What What is it oh, about? Cause,
3: probably because I care and I actually spend a lot of time in the ecosystem working with a lot of different entrepreneurs, and I. I set out to actually get a bit more of a spread, whereas what I think what you typically see with some of the angels here is they may do one or two deals and then they get their fingers burnt and don't, don't want to continue with that. So I suppose I've, I've been a lot more selective about how I've, I've gone about building a portfolio and yeah. yeah, and also being involved, yeah.
0: Well, what do we need to know? I mean, I guess this openness this up to everybody about Singapore in particular, with the angel community here, I'd be interested to hear all your thoughts. And you know, some of you are deeply embedded in it, some of you are you know sort of more new to it. But what do we need to know about angels specifically here in Singapore? How would you describe the scene compared to, let's say, New Zealand, Australia, compared to, let's say, the Silicon Valley? So, what is particular about Singapore? What have you noticed, Sam
3: Actually, I'll, I'll turn it over to Creel because I've, I mean, I've got my perspective on this, but then. I'd be interested to know what, in, your, in the time that you've spent here, what do you see, see are the actual differences, mainly mainly between the the investors here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually lived in Silicon Valley for a while as well, and I, I think. Th- if I, if I compare what goes on in Sydney, what goes on in uh, San Francisco to Singapore, I think a lot of the early adopter angel investors in, in Sydney and Singapore tend to be ex-entrepreneurs. They've built a business, hopefully it's been a tech business, so they've got a little bit of domain experience, and then they're going, okay, how do I you know foster more companies like the one that I built? Whereas when we came to Singapore, we quickly realized that a lot of the, the very successful You know, entrepreneurs, you'd still call them entrepreneurs, but they tend to be more property entrepreneurs where Mm. the fundamentals of a property business tend to be quite different to a tech uh, business. So they're looking for yields. They're, you know, they're very, very risk conscious compared to your traditional entrepreneurs. Yeah,
3: so that's what I would have said too. Like it's, and a lot of the guys that are getting into the angel investment scene, they're probably executives here too. So they, don't have as much experience with how businesses evolve and the, the, the problems that the entrepreneurs are going to go through in their journey, uh, which can be really frustrating for an entrepreneur. So, you know, if you're an executive in an established business, it's kind of steady state. You've got the capital to be able to grow and you probably don't have to ride the, the really rough seas that you do as an early entrepreneur. So, I think it's really hard for the investors here to, to understand that.
0: Hmm. Is it like an empathy? Because they haven't. Can you? I mean, I don't
1: think it's empathy. I think it's
0: more. Stephen, you you would be from that world, so (laughs) yeah. How how would you how would you stand up for yourself? You guys lack empathy for founders.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we just lack the knowledge. Um, uh, So I got into angel investment um, through a angel network, which was um, founded in Shanghai, by a group of um, uh, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, and and you know we have a chapter in Singapore. It's called Ingeo Vest, and Sam was one of my mentor. Actually, I was say, you know, informally, unofficially, whatever. You know, we, we went to a few, we went to a few events, and then I was you know, I sit next to him and say, okay, would you? Is this a yes or a no? If it's no, why? You know, I think we lack the knowledge, um, and this was back in 2014. I'm kind of surprised that having been away for two years in in Japan and then coming back. Um, I didn't really see the level of knowledge increasing or no, deepening. This is, this,
3: is, this is why I got involved in the space yeah. when I did as well because I saw that there was a real gap and there was an opportunity to be right. involved and I, I actually did think it would come up a little bit more quickly as well. I, I I think it also goes to the the culture. People here are a lot more afraid of making mistakes yep. so they don't they don't make mistakes and iterate and continue. And that's I mean, that's a lot of what the early stage investing is about as well. You have to be able to get a read, get a feel on the entrepreneurs. And the only way to do that is to get your hands dirty and, and, and to make some mistakes, right? And get burnt.
1: Yeah. Mm. You know, blow up. Have a few have a have a few of the investment really go a very, very bad way. It just completely blew out the company. Have you heard of blow up? Two of them.
0: And what did that teach you?
1: It taught me a lot of things. You know, um, so we now have this in internally, you know, between my partner and I, we decided that we are never, ever going to invest in a, in a startup that has only one founder. Right? No way okay. in hell. Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's why you didn't invest in me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was that because of the, just the risk of one founder?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, both of the, found, both of the startups that didn't work out mm. um, really had only one founder. Um, one person, one very very strong personality, trying to drive the entire business. Mm. And when that one founder decided that I've got enough of this, this is too much. There wasn't anyone else mm. next to him and mm. her to to kind of support. Uh, yeah, the, the, it's the a great father. lesson yeah. learned,
0: isn't it? Chris, mm-hmm. what about yourself? Have you had any big blow-ups?
2: Oh, certainly. We've well, we've got now I think seventy-four companies in the portfolio that we've invested. And uh, we've, I can't remember the exact numbers, must be nine or so, but it's 12% of them. I know that guys have done the maths that have blown up. Um, Mm. And then there's always some walking dead as well. So I reckon there must be another six in the portfolio that are surviving, but we know the end is probably nigh, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's rather than, the great thing about Sam mentioned before, the importance of portfolio, it's super important. So yeah. if, if one dies, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't actually murder your returns, but more than anything, it's the missed opportunities and you think, wow, they were so close, a little bit of extra something, you know, maybe it was a founder or maybe it was just that contract fell through and you think they, they would have been away. And, and we've had a few, the opposite of single founders that have actually partnership breakups Nothing mm. kills a startup quicker than warring founders. Yes. So we tend to prefer founder teams, but we've now got a, a psychometric tool, I guess, that we use in order to hopefully predict their chances of blowing up, because um, that really kills a startup pretty mm. quick.
3: What do, you, what do you think, what do you think are the most important traits or characteristics for founders in or the founder teams when you're looking at them?
2: Yeah, we're, we're a bit different to, uh, to most. So for instance, we wouldn't have invested in Elon Musk. Uh, Elon is unculturable. Um, so, for a, for a very hands on, e-
0: <laughs> he might argue that he can. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I, yeah.
2: I, I, I absolutely love Elon, but I just know through our process, he, we know he's going to probably be ex- uh, you know ex- successful, but we can't add a lot of value to Elon. Yeah, he's, it's going to be Elon's way or the highway. As a seed investor, we're quite hands on. We want to actually have coachable founders, so that's one thing. Mm. If they're coachable, the second thing is we need to make sure that they're um, you know. You know, then it's a little bit around the industry knowledge. We uh, we tend to invest in older founders, to be honest. We're not mm-hmm. the twenty-two-year-old straight out of university with a little tech knowledge and an idea. Oftentimes, there's deep experience. I think our average age is thirty-eight um, of a founder, which is sort of getting on. Mm. Um, Come on, easy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's well, not <laughs> getting on. I think it's just starting. Come on, <laughs> I've probably
2: got a few years on you, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> No, oh, I feel like a dinosaur. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so other things, you know, ultimately, you know, it's the drive and it's the passion, you know, you know that type of things. But what's, what's come out of this psychometric test that we use i mean michelle who, who runs a psych she doesn't call it a psychometric test that's the best i can explain it but essentially it looks at the attitudes and motivations of founders and there's five things that are that deeply correlate to success so she's done her masters on a mm. hundred entrepreneurs initially that have built a 10 million dollar business to a hundred million dollar i mean a, a billion dollar rather outcome and one of the things was initiation you've got a be very quick at initiating something. So rather than plan things to death, you just right. go straight right. out there.
0: Action, yeah, totally. Just do it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Next yeah. thing was focus on money, which is pretty obvious. Yep. Okay, so we sort of get that they really understand their figures, the importance of um, generating revenue, that sort of stuff. Another one was um, was a focus on uh, reflection. Okay, right. So they can actually take a knowledge and reflect, but they have this you know sole responsibility. So they're not trying to always look for external factors. They've got an idea and they want to take it to markets. And even if people are saying it's not going to work, they they still may go.
3: So it's a very hard trait when uh, juxtaposed to the uh, propensity for action as well, because mm-hmm. you've got to know when, mm-hmm. to, when to think, when to go.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we've done three. What were the other yeah. two? Reflection was the last one.
2: Yeah. Um, so it's that soul, it's that responsibility. So you're yeah. not, they're not big on external um, stuff. Um, and then the fifth one, gee, um, now you're putting me on of power. I'll have to come back to your resilience. It's a great it's memory. Right. It's great memory. Right. That was <laughs> the last one. <laughs>
0: Under pressure. No worries. I mean, we'd love to find out a little bit more about that. Michelle, maybe um, that's a call out to you to come on the show and share your insights as well.
2: Yeah, no, it's amazing. We, we now don't do an investment without putting it through. It's called Fingerprint for Success. We now don't do an um, investment if, if, if the team haven't been through it because it not only identifies where they might collaborate or, or blow up, it also it helps us benchmark, okay, for this particular uh, play they're working on, is are they the right people for this right. play? Mm.
0: Right, right. You're, you're trying to, identify your own blind spots as well, because it's quite an emotional business, isn't it? And you think, yeah, I want to invest. And then somebody else comes in and says, hang on a second, you're missing out something. You're almost like steamrolling the deal because you want it to fit because you just get it. And you're in emotionally on that person, right?
2: What I love about attitudes and motivations versus psychometric tests is they can change over time um and so that's what even though we give the feedback to the founder saying you know you're a little bit low on some of these things six months time they might have fixed that focus on money and they've sort of you know now we really understand our figures we know what we need to do financially etc
0: that's interesting isn't it yeah so okay um i want to ask you all because i think this is a key question and then we'll sort of branch out into maybe some of the thoughts on some of the questions submitted by the founders as well is we've talked a little bit about this as well sam is that you are really in the business of talent spotting and you've identified for example like how do you you know identify these traits in founders and sam you spend a lot of time with founders before pulling the trigger and Stephen, you've also mentioned for example like you know the importance of having two founders rather than one so it's all really about talent identifying patterns in people that's the pattern of success you've seen before right it's a bias a positive bias Mm -hmm. in a sense what do you do when somebody walks into the room and they've got like this batshit crazy idea, which everybody's <laughs> saying this is just rubbish like, uh-huh. like if that guy turns up with his pitch deck, just tell him to get out. but he's the guy, he's like the next Uber, he's the next <laughs> f- Facebook. I was reading about I think it was Paul Graham like when <clears throat> um, Mark Zuckerberg pitched him. he said um Paul Graham said, look this is a this is a website for students." who sit around doing not very much with not much money. Yeah. So I'm, I'm out yeah. completely on that. Yeah. But he, he sort of, ke- he talked about that introspection and the anti-portfolio and all those kind of things mm. that we talked about before. What do you do? Because those guys are the hundred, the thousand X returns. Yet everybody thinks they're just weird. Yeah. How, how do you, because naturally you're going to have experience and that's going to teach you. It looks like this. What do you do about that? How do you identify those people? Or, I guess the question is, do you need to? Can you get away with the 10x returns, the mm. 100x returns? Well,
2: that's certainly our philosophy. Is if you, if you in, in Silicon Valley, where you know if, if it can't be a billion dollar business, even the seed investors are probably not going to invest. I'll do the math and think, no, it can't, can't be that big. We're not going to invest. We tend to flip that around and saying we're just looking for a 10x return. If we do enough things that could be a 10x. We'll eventually find the unicorns through that, and we've been fortunate to, to be the first investors in three of those uh, unicorns. Which were those? Uh, Canva,
0: right, um, out, out
2: of Australia, yeah. Ipsy out of the uh, out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, and Brandless out of uh, LA.
0: And wh- what stage did you come in on those? Uh, it was seed stage. The seed in Canva, right. Yeah. And what was, was that... Were they getting rejected by a lot of people at that stage, and did people get it, or were they sort of an obvious deal?
2: Well, we're quite lucky with uh, Canva, because um, they were raising out of the US their first round, and um, the US guys wouldn't invest unless there was at least one Australian investor. Um, So Trevor was able to write the first check as the only Australian investor in Canva, yeah.
0: That was a bit lucky, though, Mm. right? Yeah, it yeah was, you yeah. had an advantage there, right? Definitely. And I guess the thing is, with American investors, they hardly go out of the valley, do they? Sure, I mean, that's the other thing. So
2: I think they're changing that. It used to be the the, the old joke that if it's not within half an hour drive from Sand Hill Road, they won't invest. But yeah. I think if you if you're, it's a it's a self defeating thing these days. I, you know, the, we, we look look at our business a bit like IMG, the sports management company. You know, the mm. next best baseballer is not going to come from uh, San Francisco; they will probably be from Puerto Rico or yeah, somewhere. Cuba. And yeah. e- equally, the the, the best startup, like Canva, came from Perth. Safety culture. One of the other great uh, Australian startups is come from Townsville. Yeah. You know, so you need to have this web of talent scouts, and that's why we're here in Southeast Asia. Exactly. You know, we've oh, got right, partners exactly. in yeah. in Jakarta and Bangkok, <clears throat> and um, now Manila, and here in Singapore to flesh out the the, the deals, and hopefully we'll find the next um, you know grab or whatever it might be.
0: So, how, how about you guys, Sam and Stephen? How do you source? interesting deals because it's quite competitive here in Singapore isn't it? Like, it's
1: pretty similar to what Krell is doing you know it's, it's really about going out there building up the network um, and, and spread it across the whole globe actually mm. and, and not just in Singapore because there's only that many number of deals you're going to see from Singapore Yeah, and if I'm going to pick one out of 100 and if I'm just limited to just Singapore deals I'm not going to get the 100 mm. um, which is part of the reason why I spent two years in Fukuoka Um, Because you and I both know, you know, in Japan, it's all about FaceTime, it's all about being there, um, you know, spending multiple nomikai to build that relationship. Um, So I think after having spent that two years there, um, it allows me to now be able to sit back in Singapore and, and... get deals coming my way from Mm. Japan.
0: Because you invested in relationships.
1: And I also invested in a couple of startups in Fukuoka. People know that I have a track record in Japan. They know that I will be cutting checks. Mm. I'm not just wasting time.
0: Right. So why do people seek you out though? I I mean, they're not seeking you out just simply because you invest. You know, what, to have that sort of inbound. So that's the magic, isn't it? We yeah. have inbound deal flow, which is qualified in the sense that they actually want to speak to you rather than the fact they want to speak to you as like just another ATM for that company. They want to speak to Stephen Liu because they know you have a reputation. What is that? How does that work?
1: I think, <clears throat> you know, my partner and I, we bring to the table not just the money, um, but really uh, combine the two of us have 50 years of experience and knowledge in the legal, and the finance uh, sectors. And for a lot of startups that are trying to expand beyond their home market, um, those are the two things that you kind of need right from the get-go. Mm. You know, simple stuff like, how do you even incorporate a company in Cambodia, for example? How do you go about doing that? Is it better to structure your company in Singapore versus Phnom Penh if you eventually think of having an IPO as an exit? Which also makes more sense. Mm. Um, so those are the things um, companies from outside of Singapore would uh, seek us out. Um, within our portfolio of nine companies, we have um, we have a startup in LA. Um, you know they're they're currently focused in the North America market, but at some point the founders do want to come out to Asia and expand. In fact, he's coming out in June to do his. Um, Fundraising for his A round. Mm. So that's that's those are the kind of.
0: So they're based in LA, coming here to do an A round.
1: There you go, because they want to expand into Asia.
0: Right, because they want to expand into Asia. Right. Okay, interesting. Mm. How about you, Sam? How do you identify these deals? Because you have built a reputation, a good one. So you must get a lot of people. That's that's it.
3: It's building your reputation, and then I'm more of a, a farmer. Right, I'm spending a lot of time on the ground talking to people, helping them mentoring very hands-on at the the incubators accelerators around town here like i am more geographically focused and focus on singapore southeast asia so i'm not as concerned about missing out on deals that are going on around the world because i mean if if i'm going to be able to get into one of those deals i probably don't want to be in that deal um and so it's i mean it's it's, it's honestly taken me quite a lot of time to start to see the inbound approaches mm of companies that I actually want to work with and want to be able to invest in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult.
0: Right. This is what I don't get about you in a good way is that you read every pitch deck that somebody sends you.
3: Yeah. And reply to most of the emails to, well, all the emails too, even if it's just brief.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that's an exception or that's how it should be, or that's just you because most people dealing with VCs,
3: you know, they don't even get response, but you put a lot of yourself personally into it. Yes, I'm too conscientious. I, I don't know if this is a strength or a weakness because right. I will take the time, but maybe I should, that time should be better spent elsewhere, focused on something different. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I do believe that there's a lot of value in relationships and people, so mm. that's where I've decided to spend my time. Even
0: if these people could be time wasters? Yeah, but you figure that out pretty
3: quickly, right? Okay. And I have no qualms with telling them sorry I can't help you this is not the right like I had a coffee meeting with someone the other day he pitched me the idea it was quite crazy not not in a crazy this could be great kind of way just crazy it, <laughs> just a crazy like I want to have nothing to do with this there are so many red flags here uh That could be great, Sam, that one. It could be, it could be. uh, I'm I'm all right with being wrong with that. But then I told them pretty quickly, like, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. And it was 15, 15, 20 minutes and and we're done. So it's it's not like it's a big deal. And
2: And then Elon came and saw me after that.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
3: It's getting rejected.
0: What about you? Do you you meet, um, Creel, do you meet... do you put yourself out there? Do you do you have a lot of coffee meetings? I'm just sort of wondering what the mo of a of an investor really is, because people are sort of looking at it and thinking, "What what do I need to be like? Do I need to be sort of?" filtering everybody or do I need to be meeting everybody? What's the Mm. balance there?
2: Well, I really respect Sam for the feedback because what startups need more than anything is brutal feedback. So the the VCs that get a deck and go, we don't like it, don't respond, don't give feedback. And there's a good reason they don't give feedback because then the startup will come back and go, oh, I don't agree with that. And then all of a sudden you're in this exchange. But at at Investable, we tend to say, rather than say no, we say not yet. um, And we tell them why not yet so that the, the door's are always open for them to come back and hopefully have fixed some of those things and we've certainly had some good success in reinvesting in things we might have seen 12 months ago. Right. But yeah. as far as, yeah, you go.
3: Oh, sorry, it's, it's a crucial thing and I think it's just not done well enough here. Mm. Mm. Uh, people, people aren't getting the feedback and the entrepreneurs, they need that feedback. They crave the feedback because that's how they change, they learn. Mm. And yeah, too, I think too many people are afraid of offending other people or you're getting into a dialogue they don't want to get into.
2: Yeah. That, that said, I will say about Singaporean entrepreneurs that they don't take the feedback very well, probably because they're not yeah. used to it yeah. uh, compared to, you know, give a bit of tough love here. It's, it's you know, not well received. So we've yeah. sort of, you know, got to really watch watch that
3: side of things. It's, it's hey, self, I
1: fully agree with you. It kind
3: of self-selects so right? Because yeah. then you get the right kind of people who have the yeah. attitude that want to be able to take on that feedback. If they don't, If they aren't open to that feedback, then it's like, okay, okay, I get it. Maybe you have to dampen it down a bit. Yeah, yeah but- that's a bad thing
2: and then to answer your question specifically graham around do i do lots of coffee menus etc so investable we we sort of have this philosophy that's that angel investing is part art part science um on the science so essentially we take we look at 1200 deals a year and there has to be a way of filtering those 1200 deals down into a manageable number yep. so we use the science and for us the science is programs. so we'll do one day workshops we've got a three-day um, investable games where we put startups through 12 challenges because we don't like the fact that everything's about demo days and five minute pitches and just the, the best orators are the ones that are getting the cash. So so that's my responsibility is the science and, and we try and get it down to a manageable number to feed our investment team 10 deals a fortnight. The investment team meet with those 10 deals and then they uh, decide to do due diligence on, you know, probably about five, six. Then they'll choose the three that goes to the investment committee each fortnight. And then the investment committee typically invests in one a fortnight. So mm. that's that's typically our, our model. But I'm I'm fortunately at the science side of things right. I don't have to have many coughing meetings or zero.
0: Right. But anybody who comes in through the front end is going to get feedback. Correct. They're going to get some sort of feedback. If they don't get through to the next round, it's like, this is why we're not yeah. investing right now.
2: Well, even in our programs, they're very much, you know, how, how do we actually be collaborative and work out, you right. know, what, what are you
0: doing well? What could you do improve? You know, here's, here's some tools you might look at. Okay. Well, let's talk feedback. I have questions from real founders. They're not made up questions. These are people who are actively raising funds here in Singapore and some actually outside of Singapore. So I'd like to throw these open. Um... And get your feedback. And we'll mention each founder who's asked a question as well. So they get a shout out. And have you any of you guys invested in, I suppose, what they call like some kind of social impact startups? Have you done any of that? Like, is that a specific group different to normal startups? Or you treat them the same? Well, there's, it's a, it's a grey area, isn't it? There's, there's, there's the black to the
2: right up to the white. So the white might be something that's only social and sort of a charity side of things. Honestly, if you're not an impact fund, it's hard to invest in those. Yeah. Right up to a startup, you know, even like Canva, you know, their their worldview is amazing as far as what they're trying to build and the way they're building it is a really lovely company. But are they a social enterprise? No. But so you know, you've got that extreme Slightly scale, yeah. Um, gotcha. So yeah, it's a bit hard to, to say where do you, where do you put the needle?
0: All right, I think the key part of that is is. As the founder, how do they package that and tell that story to an investor? Because you are going to come with those kind of concept, uh, preconceptions about what they are and, you know, are they a charity and so mm-hmm. on. So I've got one here and just curious to hear your thoughts on this. David Ward, based in Singapore. The company is the nurturing company. Um, and he says, we're not a 10x opportunity. We're a 1x opportunity to save the world we live in. All right. Okay. There's more. But off the bat, is this going the right way?
3: Do you want to hear more? I saw this question pop up. Uh, you're kind of limited to then going with social impact funds or yeah. investors that are interested in right. the social impact stuff because their return profile will be 1x. Like they're hoping to get their money back and a bit more, and they'll be measuring their return metrics more so on the amount of people that they're able to impact. So then that's that's more relevant. Uh, but then the, th- the problem that I have with some social enterprises is sometimes if they were to repackage, rethink about how they're building the business, they could do it in a more, more profitable way that's not extortionate per se, that that actually allows them to build a real business, get a real return. And I've like I've seen that done with solar panels in Burma.
0: Yeah, right. So, I think it's just a packaging thing of how they went about describing, and how David describes himself. Like he could, as soon as you say we're in one X opportunity, you immediately close mm-hmm. it down, don't you, to a specific group of investors. Yeah.
3: And but it might I not also be- I think a,
1: there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the- what What would be wrong is for David to go to investors who have no interest in investing yeah. in, in something that has a social impact and only return one x. Mm. You know that there, there are investors who are like that. you know, mm. so I think the the key for David is really to to know what he is creating and what he's really passionate about creating. If you truly believe in what he's creating, then he has to do the research to go and find those investors. Yeah, yeah the find the investors. right investors, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, because he's saying here that for all the urgency about our mission, we are struggling to get engagement with angels and VC funds. Mm. <laughs> we have home market sales, international business, solid like, IP.
3: As we were talking about before, the level of financial literacy, especially in the angel space, is is probably lacking. So then, you know, if you were to throw any business model at most of the investors here, Will they grasp it? Won't they? That's difficult. And then you go and throw them like a social impact yeah, model and it's like, well, nah, like if, if the numbers aren't astronomical, y- yeah, you, you've crossed off 95, 99% of the well, potential angel, I would say.
0: What, what does he do? What would you advise David to do in this situation?
2: Well, I'm, I haven't spent a lot of time in social enterprise myself before I got back into commercial business with investable is it's harder do it running a social enterprise, no matter how much money you've got than it is in a commercial enterprise. So if David hasn't got a lot of experience in business or even running his own startup, maybe that would have been a better place to start before going into full social enterprise. It can be really quite yeah. tough. And, and it does attract, unfortunately, a lot of people with rose-colored eyed look at the view of the world. So therefore, even though they're not trying to make money, they're, they're probably not even going to survive. Um, that's a that's hard thing.
0: Yeah, and his background is retail. He's done a number of years in retail and some quite high profile brands. Mm. Um, yet it seems to me that his, what he needs to do is find the right investors who can understand the message that he's trying to get across rather than just the whole market of VCs and angels. are just going to keep saying no.
2: Which is typical for any startup, to be honest. I mean, it's not just about trying to find any investor that's going to give you the money. It's trying to find the right investor mm. um, right. Uh, full, full stop, you know, that has got maybe de- deep domain in, or maybe overseas. If you're trying to build a global business, for instance, where you've got Japan, Stephen would be a great, you know, um, investor because he can open up doors in those markets or tell you why it wouldn't work in those markets, et cetera.
0: Right. We need to get names out there. That's the yeah. key, isn't it? Like, yeah. Because right now people don't know who investors are. They're quite sort of Unknown factors, aren't they? I mean, apart from, like, the word of mouth, which is how it's working, and maybe one or two really high-profile investors, that's it. We don't have any sort of database of these people. We need a podcast show that sort of profiles these people. (laughs) That's a really good idea. How about it? That is the genesis of the, the idea. Brilliant. Okay, next question then. Thank you for that. That wasn't set up, by the way. <laughs> Body Factor, who's based in Manila, says it's chicken and egg. Right. It's mm. the statement. The I, li- invet- I like her already. <laughs> exactly. That's the truism. The investors will say they want growth, scale, and the tech. Then we need to we need the funding to create growth, scale, and the tech. So that's the chicken and egg. We're currently bootstrapping and raising funds from other investors. Um, The company is ecfulfilled.com. I'm not sure what they are, but they say they're raising a seed round. Their challenge, it sounds like, the investors that they're talking to are saying that we want to see results, yet they need funds to get
3: results. What do you do? Unless you you have any kind of competitive advantage straight off the bat, then, yeah, you're going to have to prove yourself before you're going to be able to raise external funds because otherwise the investor's always going to say, well, why you, why now? Otherwise someone else could just come in and eat your lunch. So... Yeah, like if it's if, it, if it's an execution-based business such that you just have to get the job done and do it before anyone else can potentially do it, you need the funds to be able to do that, yeah, you've got to prove some traction first. How so do you do not that easy. without funds?
1: I think, you know, we we also ask, <clears throat> sorry, we also ask founders to have some skin in the game mm. before we put put money into them. So to have the skin in the game, we want to see, are you bootstrapping? How much of your own money have you put in uh, into this? Um, have you tried raising money from friends and family and we do believe the friends and family is a good skin in the game because if you have taken 20,000 from the dad or your mom you know chances are you're gonna really work really really hard to make yeah. sure that you don't piss off your dad or that your mom. goes with yeah. you to the grave that yeah. one yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The, for the four F's the so friends, yeah. family, fools, fools and founders that's yeah. what you you know yeah. get yeah. some of that money in there I think yeah. before you go to the next stage
0: yeah
2: and, and you know Also, MVP, I I still, you know, it's it's become a cliche, but trying to start something a little bit more modest, get the traction that Sam's talking about before you then go to a professional investor. And certainly not uh, a a, a typical VC is Series A and beyond. Um, So they want to see traction.
0: Yeah. I Mm. I don't know if it's specific to Singapore. And obviously I've had a lot of startup founders come in here as well. Over a hundred have sat here and done their sort of long form pitches. And I hear a lot in uh, industry as well, and it seems there's a there's a large number of people out there who, you know, say we need to raise a million dollars to build this thing, mm. right? And the you know the MVP was almost. Missed out. It's like yeah. why? Why don't you just sort of okay? Let's scale this all the way back. Let's to cut out all these different features mm. and let's go back to that one thing it does really well, and let's do it for fifty thousand maybe. Mm. But it seems like oh no no no, we have to build this thing. Where is that mindset coming mm. from? I'm missing out on something because I'm, I'm a bootstrapping yeah. entrepreneur. Because yeah.
3: everyone's seen the amounts people can raise in the US, and it's like that. Oh, you're raising it on a pitch deck. Or you're raising it on a hope in a dream, whatever. And it's. It's like the, the art of the on, entrepreneurialism is, you know, boiling it down to the smallest part possible and then proving out from there and building on, on top of that. So there's, there's probably always something that you can do to make that task smaller, yeah. tick that off and then, and then build out from there. I think that's the right way of thinking about it. Not- but is there pressure to go big? Mm. Uh, but no, also,
2: was, no. but one of the concepts we, we, we've we now discovered that we, we're sort of anti around it, we call it the perfect startup storm. So you might have seen the movie, The Perfect Storm, or all of those bad conspiring factors created the worst storm in history. Well, the perfect startup storm is exactly that. If you have these five factors working against you, you're going to fail, and that's a first time entrepreneur, never been in the industry before, launching a business model that's never existed before where you need critical mass before it's useful for one customer and you need a large capital investment before you can actually Mm. um, test it. There's a lot of those around. Yeah, there's a lot of those around. If you've got five of those, you're going to fail. If you've got four, you'll probably fail. Three, you might get survived. Two, you might. So it's sort of like how do you de-risk some of that? If you're a Mm. founder yourself, you go, okay, gee, I've got four of those working against me. Um, I'll get a co-founder that's from the industry or been in business before, or I'll start with an MVP that copies another industry type of model. And then if that's successful, then we'll morph into this revolutionary thing that we've got up our, you know, up our sleeve before, you know, but you know, it's pretty tough if you've got those things working against you.
0: How do you sort of train that hustle in people to do those things? Is that, is that a skill people learn? Is that a mindset? I mean, we're sort of coming into the, the, the Singapore ecosystem Mm -hmm. now, where there's a lot of very well-educated people, right? But they haven't sold strawberry punnets on the, the mm. road as kids, right? So, all, do those people are those people out there? I don't know. You would know better, they Steve. Are.
1: Well, I sold Newsweek magazine to pay for my law school.
0: Right. Music yeah. magazines.
1: Newsweek. Oh, Newsweek. Yeah.
0: How, many, I, I how think many of those did you sell to get into law school? You oh must gosh. have sold lots. No,
1: getting into law school is easy. You know, that doesn't cost that much money. But going through law school and paying through law school, and that was fun.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, but is that an exception here in Singapore?
1: Well, so I've got two hundred classmates when I was going through law school, and I think only like f- maybe five of us were living in public housing.
0: Right. Okay. So go figure. So I think.
1: Ha- I, I mean, just to, I think to come back to your question, yeah. I think it it, it it takes a generation sh- change. It's going to take a while. Um, you know, for for the longest time, the typical Singaporean kid, they, as they are being raised, they are told that get a good education get a degree and then get a government job or so work in one of the yeah. big mnc multinationals don't even think about being a startup entrepreneur don't be your own businessman but now you know the kids are, uh, are being exposed to all of this you know they're seeing 20 year old become you know you know, hit, hitting a home run have a yeah. 100 million dollar startup so they're thinking maybe i can do the same but they don't have the entire cultural Bedrock, the history mm. of entrepreneurship behind the stories, them, the yeah, stories yeah, behind yeah, them. Totally. So I think there's a lot of education, there's a lot of engagement, there's a lot of um, exciting them, yeah. letting them know that this is possible. But it is only possible if you don't have any of the five Fs that Creel was talking about. Yeah,
3: you know? yeah. Do you think it's Do you think it's a cultural thing or more because of the location, the geography, that? There aren't as many people or s- students either starting businesses, working in small businesses uh, here, kind of in Asia, specifically in Singapore. Like, I I don't see a lot that are coming out of university that have some kind of work experience, even if they just grinded and been a dish mm. pig somewhere mm. uh, or have had a crack at something. <clears throat> uh,
1: yeah, I think it's a cultural thing. I mean, we are, you know, luck- luckily or unluckily, Singapore has become very well developed you know we have become rich very quickly within Mm. 50 years and and if you look at even the typical public housing resident a lot of them actually have domestic help so we're talking about 20 year you know kids who have grown up in a family where he or she doesn't even know how to do the dishes because he's never he or she has never done the dishes how do you expect someone like that to be a hustler
0: Mm. Well, how do you train it? Yeah, it's hard. How do you train it's, it? I mean, this is yeah.
1: this is the big cultural thing, and also with yeah. the graffiti.
3: Everyone, when people come to Singapore, they're like, "Oh, it's so nice. It's so clean." I'm like, "Yeah, it's great," but then there's another side to that coin. That means that you don't actually have the freedom of expression. People aren't yep. really going out there and trying something different. So, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good things about being here. But it's a and, it's and a really that, difficult it, cultural yeah. thing that we need to work through to 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 be able to get those entrepreneurs coming up.
1: So it's interesting that you mentioned graffiti. Um, I I own a conservation shop house out in Joo um, the 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 house is at the junction of uh, Joo Terrace and Everett Road. So those of you who are in Singapore, you want to see it is at the junction of Joo Terrace and Everett Road. My shop house has a very beautiful facade, and I hired a very up and come, Well, he was an up-and-coming uh, mural artist at the time uh, from Lithuania. Paid him good money, bring, brought him to Singapore. And he painted a beautiful mural on my house. Um, it was also a social experiment because at a point in time, the laws in Singapore actually would consider that a graffiti. Hmm. Uh, and, and it wasn't you know, something that the government approved or, or encouraged. So both the artist and myself got into a lot of problems. For painting that mural, a beautiful mural, uh, which we took a year to conceptualize, which we canvassed a lot of opinions from our neighbours, yet I was actually told to remove the mural.
3: No, pa- no. Paint it over it. What was this letters or it, did they just did, did, did you get the phone call, come down here and no, talk to me? I, yeah,
1: I got like, I, no, I didn't get a phone call, I got a letter saying, Come down here and talk to us. Uh, and, whitewash and, it. Uh,
0: did you have to whitewash it
1: yeah, so, I mean, the good thing was, I, I, you know, my, my public policy experience actually kind of helped. Yeah. And, and, and um, I was like, guys, come on, really? You know, can, you know, can we talk about, does this make sense for me to whitewash it? You know, the mural has gone up for almost a month. Um, a couple of um, international media has already covered it. There were even comments that this is one of the top 10 mural in the world yeah. for that year. And, and if we were to whitewash it, you know, can you imagine? the Is um, it still there? Let's do that. So you oh, got to see it? So the, know, there really. is, but but there is a bright side to this whole. There's an there's a positive side to my whole whole story here. It was the government actually listened. Yeah. So the guys that I was engaging with, with they were not from the the National Arts Council. They were actually from the UIA, the Urban Re- um, the Redevelopment Urban Authority. Redevelopment Authority. Yeah. yeah. The 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 city planners um, and these guys actually listened and said, "Yeah, this makes a lot of sense." Mm. So they. We actually came to a compromise and have that thing on. And it started, they actually started promoting it themselves. So I think the, 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 this, I think, to me, speaks of the entire um, environment that we're in in Singapore. This is an environment where you can only do things which are expressly allowed You can't do things which are not expressly allowed in this country. And we've grown up in that kind of environment. Well, I grew up in that kind of environment. In a place like Silicon Valley, in a place like even China, there's a lot of experimentation. Mm. There's a lot of, you know, the kids out there will say, if there is nothing expressly saying I can't do this, I'm going to try. it. I'm going to do it. So a lot of Singapore founders that we, we come across because of my background as a lawyer, they came to me and say, I would like to invest, but we're not sure if this is permissible in Singapore. So we would also like you to come on board as an as an advisor. It's like, no dude, just just do it, man. You know, do it until somebody stopped you.
3: Mm. Yeah, forgiveness not
1: permission. Correct. But that's, well, that's not, a hard thing here. That's though. not the first step that the typical singapore remember we're on pass, we're on that's not what a promise. typical singapore founder would do and and that's i think what's kind of holding us back
0: yeah yeah it's a really fascinating conversation about culture isn't it i mean like especially i think there's something Special about being from different cultures living in different places and you see what's real and what's not real yeah. And I, I don't know I'm trying to sort of connect that with the whole yeah. idea of being an investor and in, in that sort of startup ecosystem Because you know what is sort of the baseline of Operations and what is sort of localized and the fact you've sort of you've lived in Silicon Valley You're obviously from different part of the world you've traveled around and you've lived in Japan as well And China, and China. Yeah. And i have sorry myself and I've lived in a few countries as well, but that sort of, you, you see, I don't know what it is, but you, you, fact, you can sort of, as an observer of people, it comes back to that talent play as well. Yep. You can kind of work out what is the real sort of core behaviour of that person? What's sort of the local flavour that's sort of that layer on top? So when you're looking at a startup founder and they're talking about blockchain, for example, it's easy to get excited by all the fluff on the outside, but inside is that entrepreneur real or not. So I'm just sort of going along on my hypothesis. There's something in there. Well,
2: yeah. So, you, you, I mean, typically the best entrepreneurs have been the misfits and the, uh, you know, the agitators and the rebels and yep. that sort of stuff. So, but I, what, what gives me hope around Singapore, I think there's been enough investment into the ecosystem to date. You know, there's been some failures and there's, you know, some people that have checked out going, it doesn't work. But I think it's that early investment that's going to start paying dividends, particularly when you add into the mix. You know there is other um, startups coming in. You know, so if we we're investing in Indonesia, as an example, yeah, we would require that a startup you know has their base in Singapore. So you're starting to get a little bit more um, you know cross border, and Singapore's is a place to do that. So there's already yeah, it's very multicultural yeah. already.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, I, I did quite a bit of work in South Africa, and in the early days, I'd go, "Wow, it's an amazing founder," and that'd be Zimbabwe nearly every time. Um, and then, but slowly but surely, there's enough. You know, Zimbabweans are there, and they're, they're growing their business. And the South Africans really started to lift up, and you know, all of a sudden, you've got a great ecosystem. Yeah,
3: yeah I think that's what you're starting to see. Like a common common pattern I've seen is, pe- yeah, people have a one or two cracks, things don't really work out, and it could be the third, fourth crack, whatever. And this is why I think resilience is really important because they have to be able to keep going and get through the setbacks. But yeah, it's like the the fourth, you know, the third or fourth time they, they they crack it, and I think we're getting to that now.
0: Mm. Mm, There seems to be also, I mean, those immigrants who came here and seeded the ecosystem, you know, with ideas and behaviours and so on, and now the locals are learning that, like with the Zimbabwean example, I think, it's those outsiders that kind of spike Mm -hmm. and are willing to take really big risks, because they have nothing to lose. And then that sort of encourages a next generation to follow, and sort of builds up the ecosystem yep. around it as well. Yep. I think we're starting to see that happen now. A bit of traction in the local ecosystem mm. with sort of locally born.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. We're seeing we're seeing a lot more um, locally born you know, Singaporean founders mm. um, willing to take a crack at it. Um, a lot of them would have either worked in a startup that was founded by maybe a, a foreign founder. They have tried it for a year as a staff, and they say, hey, if, if he can do it, I can do it too. There's that, a little bit of that kind of mentality, which is great. And mm-hmm. and and I think the job situation in Singapore is also kind of a forcing function. Um, as we are producing more and more university graduates, they're, f- they're finding it harder and harder to find uh, jobs in, in whether the government departments or multinationals. And it's like, okay, what's next yeah. you know if I can't find a job maybe I want to create my own jobs you know I want to I want to create something new and then we're seeing some some of that so pretty happy that now our Within five months of us coming back from Japan, um, we we made an investment here and the founder was a Singaporean. Awesome. Graduated from a Singapore university.
0: Oh, because of your mural. (laughs) (laughs) Kicks it off. All right. um, Last question for you chaps before we go. Um, I have a theory and shoot me down because I feel I might be in the lion's den with this one is that I believe, and you've kind of alluded to it, that startup founders are weird, a little bit misfits, I suppose. Um, that's why they do what they do really well, and I class myself as one of them. And I think I'm slightly on the the spectrum, on the edge a little bit. Um, that's what I think about startup founders. But yet, investors, I think are 10x weird. The more I've got to know investors, the more I think they are quite strange. I think startup founders are social misfits, but there's something special about investors that they are even more misfits than startup founders. What is going on? Am I just applying my own projecting my own insecurities onto <laughs> onto the investment community but or do you think there's something there because you guys i'm not not to, obviously you guys accepted but there is something about investors that I'm learning is they, they, they are a bit like startup founders themselves, a little bit sort of socially awkward.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what, what's going on? What do you, have, you, have you noticed that as well?
2: Well, I guess we've got probably slightly more data. We've got like 56 members in Australia, and I, I think it's now up to eight in, uh, in Singapore. But the, if, I, if I look at them to try and generalize, is what you're really asking us, us to do, is most of them have got a bit of a yearning. It's not just about how do I make money. It's a yearning for how do I be part of something. Yeah, how do yeah. I help people? Yep. How do I change the world? How do I? So I think there's a little bit of that going on. That the, in order to have the risk appetite, I think there's got to be a bigger motivation than just trying to make money. It's a really if you get it right, it's a really lucrative space to make money. But I think there's got to be other reasons that are motivating them to be involved. And oftentimes it's 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 about them, not about mm. the other founders. Are saying I, I want to be. See, see I'm part of something. Sure, I don't want to start my own business again, but I want to be part of something and and,
0: and see, watch that grow. Yeah, I like that. The yearning. Mm. Something inside. You you mentioned something like this before, yeah. Sam. Does that resonate with you? Oh, I see Are I see exactly yearning?
3: I was on a panel last week I said exactly the same thing. It's like I think the people that get involved with angel investing early stage investing and they just do it for the money for the return because they hear about uber it's probably for the wrong reasons these are the guys who do a couple of deals get their fingers burned and then they'll walk away in a couple of years it's the guys that really want to be involved want to help other people out want to give back in some way they they, they they start from that foundation the premise of yeah well, we want to do something different be involved like we were saying and then things can evolve from there mm. it's yeah, but this, speaking more generally about investors, investors being a bit a, a, bit, a bit different.
0: Yeah, different's I, the way they want. So. I, think,
3: I think maybe that's, maybe it depends on the investors that you're hanging out with, and I'd say probably some of the better ones are going to be a little bit different because they're going to have to be able to see the world differently or at least yeah. be willing to embrace that there are different <clears throat> versions of the world and other things that they don't know. If you think about someone who's been through a really traditional career path, then they have been rewarded for, you know, doing what they've been told and knowing what is there it's more or less fixed they haven't actually had to deal with so much risk and uncertainty the example that i give is life's more like a game of poker there's so many unknowns out there you don't know what you're actually making that decision based on it's not like chess you know chess you can kind of work out what the best move is going to be based on positioning and what you think your opponent's trying to do too but poker you have far far less information
0: hmm very interesting observation, uh, Stephen. Do you, do you consider yourself different in that respect? I mean, you were a lawyer in the Supreme Court, so you were like the the most the risk mo- averse, risk averse, conservative. Corporate. You you were yep. like you're part of the the complex, the whole establishment, right?
1: Well, uh, I think. I, I do consider myself a kind of a misfit, and and also my partner. I think both of us are misfits. We don't we don't fit in. Um, one of our uh, best investment out of the nine port uh, portfolio company was an invest was was a deal actually that went through the Injo network that I was in, mm. and all seventy five members passed on that deal. My my partner and I decided to put in our money. Um, and then um, I I do remember getting a call from a, a fellow in your Melody. I don't know if you remember Melody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Melody actually called me and, and and she's she's great. She was like, "Dude, are you crazy?" You know, this this is the deal that we, none of us think is going to work. Mm-hmm. And and Melody was great. You know, she actually sat down with me, went through the um, the investment report, the financials, and all of that. I said, "And I forget about all of that. You know, I I just have this feeling that this guy is going to build something great." may not be this thing that he's been presenting to us but i don't know maybe two or three years down the road he could he's gonna figure it out because i think mm. the technology that he he's talking about is not even created yet um but i think he's on to something so we we put in we were the first two investors that put our money behind him and uh three years later you know it turned out to be uh, a partial home run i think we're in second base maybe yeah
3: <laughs> that is awesome we'll see how it goes yeah. That's, that's good that's for Singapore. That's the idea when you're able to think about things a little bit differently from what everyone else is. Yeah, Scary.
1: Scary, yeah.
3: But, that's everyone
1: thought we were crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah, Still do. Probably.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome, yeah. it's been a great conversation. Should we do this again?
1: Sure. Next time you're in oh, Singapore? Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. I think it was a good fun. And I think, um, you know, great sport, all of you, like for coming in and, and just being honest and like, you know.
1: Maybe we can have uh, like a bottle of wine. I'll bring the wine. Yeah,
0: I mean, maybe we should schedule it a little bit later next time in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> that would be good. Um, yeah, I think what I really hope we can achieve by doing this, and I, I really like the, this idea of the yearning part as well, there's that real need to, to add some value beyond simply just speculating on the market. Because, like you say, it's it's a lucrative business to get into, but there are many better ways to make money. Mm. Commercial real with, estate. With less work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So why? Why bother? So there has to be that big why in it. So hopefully we get a bit of that out today. Attract people who also buy into that. I like what you guys say. You know, I want to find out more about what you do. um, You know, be part of what you do because there's a whole generation of angel investors coming through who, you know, want to onboard with the right partners, co-investors, syndicates, platforms, etc. So there's all those guys and the founders as well. It's like, you know, put it out there. These are the right people to talk to. You know, that's key as well. You know, the right kind of investor profiles to approach mm-hmm. and so on. So thank you so much for sharing your stories today. You. I had a lot of fun was and a, I think it was yeah, really enjoyable. Was and um, we will take more questions for the next one. I think today's questions a bit easy. Hmm. I think you got off lightly. So we'll have some tough questions next time.
3: Yeah, I was going to have something a little bit curlier. <laughs> well,
0: that's why we brought the lawyer in
1: too, So can Exactly, just to filter them
0: out. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's the okay. gatekeeper. All okay, right, cool. I'll try my best. All right, we're signing out. This is Graham Brown. I'm joined by our esteemed panel of guests. Um, we we'll did a quick round-robin on how people can find you best. Stephen, yourself? What's the best um, way to connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. with all your details. Sam? Uh, yeah, hit me on
3: the email. The show right. notes. Show notes.
0: Yeah, LinkedIn or investable.com. Awesome. We're signing out. That was Pitch Deck Asia, powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name's Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice. We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, And feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.